Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com slash HerHealth to learn more. The Be Aware Allergy-Friendly Halloween Extravaganza will take place at the Fayetteville Public Library Saturday, October 28th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Kids are invited to visit allergy-friendly trick-or-treat stations around the library, enjoy games, and a bounce house. The event aims to create a fun, inclusive, and safe space for children with and without food allergies. F-A-Y-L-I-B dot org for more information. It is Tuesday, September 26th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callums. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a little wine, some talk about food, and then some good sleep. In just a moment, Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth updates us on wine production in Arkansas. Then later, a public event to further education about food allergies scheduled for Saturday on the University of Arkansas campus. We'll talk with the organizer. And in our second half hour, sleep and young people. Dr. Matt Bradley with Northwest Arkansas Pediatrics has tips about a bedtime routine that, ha- that teens and really all of us could adopt for better sleep. Hint, ditch the nighttime phone use. It's easier said than done Yeah, sometimes. it is. But before all of that, uh, we want to remind you that t- today is day two of our fall on-air fundraiser. It's a time during the season where we take a moment to come on the air and we ask you to think about how much you rely on and depend on the programming here on KUAF, here on Ozarks at Large, and consider making a contribution that matches that use. You can make that gift at supportkuaf.com. We have an Ozarks at Large challenge for this Tuesday from great friends David and Deborah Malone. They're putting up 50 bucks today. So if you become or renew your membership uh, during this hour of Ozarks Large, $50 from Deborah and David Malone. That's a, that's a, that's a great thing that makes your $50 uh, contribution worth 100 And just go to supportkuf.com right now and say, I'm responding to that challenge. Absolutely. And it's, and it's really wonderful to have great community members uh, like them who are willing to put up some of their own money that say, not only do I love and support KUAF, but I am, I'm backing this and saying it is worth your money too to make this contribution. Um, so we're really grateful for friends like that. And we're really grateful for listeners like you who maybe this is your first time thinking about giving. And, uh, and this is something you've thought about doing for a while and you've really just kind of been looking for the push to do so. 50 bucks. When, I, when I came in this morning at, uh, around 8, uh, I got a message from Brett Ratliff, our membership director, that said we'd pass $66,000 on our way to the $100,000 goal. So some momentum going. Absolutely. We're getting there. All right. Support KUAF.com. When you think of wine country, your mind probably takes you to Napa Valley in California. You might even consider parts of Missouri as hidden gems for local wineries. But Arkansas has not typically been a place known for winemaking. As Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth reports, though, some local wineries are hoping to change that. On most weekend afternoons from spring through early fall, the back porch of Sassafras Springs Vineyard and Winery in Springdale is covered with people sipping wine and overlooking the lush green valley just east of Fayetteville. 
And this past Saturday, that was no exception. The two-tier deck was full as an engagement party amassed in the white tent just down from the tasting room. Sassafras opened in 2014 and has since capitalized on the demand for event venues in the area. Yeah, when we first got started, we had 15 acres, thought we were going to be open two days a week, you know, Friday and Saturday, a couple, a couple hours a day. And uh, we've just expanded. We have a total of 70 acres now and uh, do a ton of different weddings, um, corporate events, birthday parties, rehearsal dinners, baby showers, basically any type of celebration of life that you can imagine we can do out here. So Drew Gordon is the general manager for Sassafras. He sits at one of the wrought iron tables on the winery's new 350-person deck with his two brothers, Denton and Derek Kilpatrick, who also work for Sassafras. While events have been their main focus since opening, the brothers are looking for other Rieslings or reasons to bring people to the vineyard. Here's Denton Kilpatrick. We did order an automated bottling line from Italy, yep. and that should be here uh, early next year, and we hope to have a building uh, under, under construction for that to be housed in and give us additional rental spaces, and, and uh, that way we can enhance our tasting. Right now, though, the winery is just too small and the vineyard too young, Derek says, to produce enough grapes that will keep up with demand for production. Currently, we bring in grapes from Washington State just because we're trying to get our vineyard established. So we get some from Lynn Gay over in Huntsville. He's got a 90-acre vineyard over there. But we get the majority of ours from Washington State just because we found that it's just a better product. Arkansas is striving and growing and, and doing all this stuff to go in that direction, you know, and, and we're just trying to be a part of Arkansas's growth on the wine industry. But yeah. We would love competition, you know, we're calling on other wineries, buy the property across the street for them, let's put up another vineyard, please, you know. Yeah. We want a destination. And the wine industry in Arkansas itself is relatively small too, with just 21 wineries. By comparison, neighboring Missouri has around 130, Texas has close to 600, and California, the biggest in the U.S., as around 4,200. Renee Threlfall is a research scientist in enology and viticulture at the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture, and she has led the charge for wine production, research, and quality control for years. She says Arkansas's size can be deceptive. You have to look at the capacity at each because, you know, one or two of our wineries is a really large capacity even for a small state. So you really have to look at the volume that is produced out of Arkansas. And in that particular instance, we're probably in the top 100 in terms of volume for one or two of our producers. So that's a big deal. One of those big producers is Post Winery in Altus. Well, the family came in 1872 to America Tina Post is a fifth-generation Post and works for the family business. The history is, is rich, I think, in the, in the area's uh, history is rich. We've just, um, I think part of it is when you grow up in something, you just think that's a normal thing to do, and you continue on. You end up, there's either a love for it or there isn't, you know, a passion or not. You do need a passion because this this is a, this business, it's just a lot of work. Your farmers first, that's just a hard um, row to hoe, so to speak. And Renee Threlfall agrees that wine can be a brutal industry, especially in Arkansas, where conditions are not always cooperative. So in terms of the world wine production, 
Vitus vinifera is what we, we mostly know. Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Syrah. And those don't go, grow great here because of our high temperatures, our colder winters, our humidity in August. So what we grow mostly here in Arkansas are hybrids. And these are crosses between different cultivars, but they're really uh, centered around how well they do with disease resistance. Uh, so they thrive well here in Arkansas. So a lot of our grapes are either native or, or they're hybrids. And those hybrid varieties developed after decades of research that the UA System Division of Agriculture and are just now starting to hit the market. The most common variety of wine associated with Arkansas and much of the South, however, is still probably muscadine wine, a sweet wine made with grapes native to the Americas. When we spoke with Tina Post, the winery had just started crushing the muscadine grapes from this year's harvest, and the smell is something she finds intoxicating each season. Oh, honey, we could sit down now. We really, we need a glass of wine and some food to nibble on, and we could talk all day. But I will tell you, the muscadine, it's particularly fragrant. The aroma is just mind-blowing. It's big and powerful. And it just reminds me, I mean, I've had that in my, my senses since I was a child, so you drive into town, you can smell, especially the camels early when they're ripe. You can, you, you know, when you're driving over the mountain, you can roll down your window and smell them. It's just incredible. And while Threlfall says some consumers may look down on the quality of Arkansas wine, she believes they're missing out. You just have to know what to look for and what to try. In 2020, the Arkansas Department of Agriculture established the Arkansas Quality Wine Program through a grant. Threlfall is director of the AQW program and says the goal is to help commercial wineries raise the standard of quality through knowledge and outreach. Every spring we do a competition for commercial wineries and we have outside judges come in and judge the wines. And then the wines that are a part of this quality wine competition are Arkansas grown and Arkansas made. And the competition helps bump up the caliber of wines produced in the state, putting local products in front of consumers. Thurlfall also says the hybrid grape varietals that the U of A has developed could give Arkansas a leg up in the global wine industry in the near future. And through testing for 20 years, we eventually released four cultivars. So we're, we haven't really seen that commercially yet, but we're, 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 it's gaining interest uh, because they are hybrids with unique qualities that are for hotter growing regions, which is um, now with climate change kind of a, a hot topic. Where you have the regions like California, Washington, Oregon, we have perfect growing conditions for grape for so many decades and maybe centuries. And now they get a little taste of what a challenging environment is. So where we're, you know, we're used to that. We know what cultivars we can grow. We know how to produce. We know what our challenges are. We know our windows. Didn't Kilpatrick says Sassafras already has two of those hybrids planted in their vineyard right now. The opportunity and enchantment grapes. Mm -hmm. So we do look forward to being able to produce wine from those once they reach maturity. And uh, we should be having that in the next few years. It takes about five years to get a good grape off of those vines. So what will it take to raise Arkansas's wine profile? Throwfall explains it's two things. More boutique wineries like Sassafras and a change to antiquated shipping and distribution laws. You cannot have a winery in a dry county, so that takes out 
however many percent of the state that we could actually have a winery. Legislative issues are one barrier to preventing the expansion of the grape and wine industry. In total, Arkansas has 29 dry counties. But still, Derek Kilpatrick believes, despite some sour grapes, the wine business is just special. There's something romantic about it. There's something romantic about having a wedding at a vineyard, you know, and it's it's very poetic and they kind of go hand in hand. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Daniel's reporting originates inside the Karen Taha News Studio. By the way, there will be wine served before each of the performances of other desert cities later this fall. The Pulitzer-nominated drama will be the next production from the Smokehouse Players. The first of the three performances on November 9th will be a benefit for Magdalene Serenity House. Last year, the Smokehouse Players raised nearly $30,000 for Magdalene Serenity House. We'll talk with the cast and crew about the play next month, and you can find out more about them at the Smokehouse Players Facebook page. Ahead, women's and men's professional soccer teams are scheduled to be playing in Rogers in the next couple of years. This week's I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast explores what it takes to develop two USL franchises and a home for them to play in once the teams are ready. Once you build a soccer field, which is the larger field versus all the other sports, you can easily play American football in there. You can play lacrosse. We could do rugby. There is discussions that we've had with all these different groups of sports supporters that would like to see things like that. That's ahead on today's show. And right now, a reminder that this is the Fall On Air fundraiser at 91.3 KUAF. It's a time of the year where we take just a couple of moments out of our day to uh, inform you that we can't do this without your support. Your contributions and your monthly gifts help keep KUAF going day in and day out. So you can make a gift right now at supportkubaf.com, and we have a little bit of incentive from our friends David and Deborah Malone of Fayetteville. They are making a challenge of $50 today. $50 will be matched dollar for dollar if you give during this hour's show. Um, When you go to supportkubaf.com, just let us know that uh, you are taking the Ozarks at Large Challenge, and that $50 will be met Thanks to our friends, David and Deborah Malone. You know, we have uh, ambitious plans for thoughtful, dynamic storytelling in the months ahead. Those are plans that can only be fully realized with strong member support from listeners just like you, because your support makes that sort of storytelling possible. I'm talking about the coverage you hear here, news coverage on Ozarks at Large, but also the coverage you hear from around the world on Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and all of the programs. So I'm asking you right now on behalf of KUAF and our public mission of ensuring that you can hear this kind of storytelling, this kind of news coverage, so that you and everybody else in this region can be well-informed. We'll be here for you. You can count on it because we can count on you and where Matthew can support be made. You can make a gift at supportkuaf.com. It takes just a couple of minutes. Fill out just a little bit of information so that we can make sure that uh, that we've got what we need from you. And you can make sure that this continues to be a place where people can find 
unbiased, reliable, fact-based reporting day in and day out, whether it's on Ozarks at Large or any of the other programming you listen to on KUAF. Support KUAF.com or you can call 575-2556. Everybody who listens to Morning Edition from NPR News is an expert in something. Morning Edition is there to make you more expert on everything else. Listen every weekday. Morning Edition with your local host, Daniel Carruth, every weekday morning from 5 to 9 on 91.3 KUAF. And you can also ask your smart speaker to play KUAF. Arkansas's agriculture industry is preparing for a possible shutdown of the federal government. Congress is facing a deadline Saturday to pass spending bills to keep the government funded. Ryan Loy is an economist and assistant professor at the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. He says several key USDA programs will go dark if the government does shut down. It's really going to depend on how long the government is shut down for, if it does happen. If it's a short amount of time, then it should, the, the issue shouldn't be felt as strongly. But if it's about a month or over a month, then that's where people are going to start really seeing issues. Lloyd says a shutdown would stall negotiations on the reauthorization of the Farm Bill, which oversees a number of public assistance and conservation programs. If that were to happen, Lloyd says it could have a direct impact on consumers. They're basically kicking out private um, competition that prices these commodities in the market, right? So what's going to end up happening is, is that the federal government's going to come in, be required to provide a price support, And that means they're going to outbid a lot of the private industries, which means that the overall cost of uh, milk, uh, you know, cotton, wheat, those sorts of commodities is going to go up in the stores because they're trying to bid against the federal government. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP or food stamps, is the largest portion of the Farm Bill. However, the program will still continue even if the federal government shuts down at the end of this week. University of Arkansas faculty, staff, and students can now receive the updated COVID-19 booster. An email from university officials explains the COVID booster can be obtained by members of the university community at the Pat Walker Health Center. According to that email, COVID boosters cost $135 with an additional $35 administration fee. University employees insured through UMR will have 100% of the vaccine covered. Flu shots are also available at the center. A proposed amendment to Fayetteville's city code would allow utilities of illegal short-term rental properties to be cut off. The City Council's Ordinance Committee recently approved the measure that will be taken up by the full City Council October 3rd. City Attorney Kit Williams says he issued a memo to the committee outlining due process procedures to be taken by illegal short-term rental operators facing enforcement. The wording that I had where they would get at least a letter telling them that uh, this is what the city is thinking that's going to do because they're operating in violation of city ordinances and giving them an opportunity to request a hearing. And if they do within 10 business days, then a, a hearing will be held uh, promptly. More than 180 short-term rentals were found to be operating illegally in Fayetteville as of this month, with 395 in full compliance. The rationale for the proposed enforcement code is to control unoccupied short-term rentals, which is currently capped at 475. The Republican National Committee says former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson will not be on stage at tomorrow night's GOP presidential debate in California. Qualifications for this debate required candidates to be polling at some combination of 3% in national polls or polls in early voting states. 
Hutchinson wrote on social media he intends to continue campaigning in early states like Iowa and New Hampshire to bring up his polling numbers. Sixty-six years have passed since the desegregation of Little Rock Central High School. To commemorate the milestone, five of the first nine black students to attend the school gathered yesterday with the University of Arkansas Clinton School of Public Service. In 1957, the group faced angry mobs and harassment at the high school. Dr. Terrence Roberts commend. Dr. Terrence Roberts commented on the Arkansas Department of Education's decision to remove accreditation from AP African American Studies courses in high schools across the state. They're burning books. They're interrupting coursework. They're proposing a new narrative, a fictional narrative that will be used instead of the whole truth that could be used in curricula. I don't understand it, honestly. He was critical of Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who supported the decision and has said courses like AP African American Studies contain indoctrination. Minnie Jean Brown Tricky talked about meeting with young people in her activism work. And I know what's going to happen because it's happened before. They're going to get sick of this stuff, okay? They're going to get sick of being told they don't deserve to know. They're going to get tired of saying they're too young to know. They're going to be tired to have somebody decide whether they should feel guilty or not. And they're going to rise up, and I'm waiting for that, and I'm helping them in every possible way I can. She said she was excited for the new generation of informed young people coming of age in America. At the event, the Clinton School of Public Service announced an endowment campaign to help fund a scholarship named in honor of the Little Rock Nine. And Arkansas Girls High School Golf Championships are being decided in six different places today. The Springdale Country Club is serving as host for the 6A Finals. Springdale Harbor is the defending state champ. Bentonville and Fayetteville finished second and third respectively last year. Gravett and Charleston won last year's 4A and 3A championships. This is Ozarks at Large. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration counts nine major food allergies, from peanuts to shellfish to soybeans, affecting millions of Americans. And there are more than 160 other foods confirmed to cause allergies in people. Hey Molly Gari is one of the millions with food allergies, eggs and garlic for her. She's a senior at Haas Hall Academy in Fayetteville, and she's the creator of the nonprofit K-12 Allergies. Saturday, that organization is hosting a food allergy awareness walk at the University of Arkansas. Hey Molly came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio recently to talk about food allergy awareness. She says when she was younger and discovered she had food allergies, she was in a community about the same size as Fayetteville. I really didn't know anybody with food allergies. I didn't have any friends with food allergies, or my parents didn't know anybody while we were going through the process of diagnosing my food allergies, and that made the, proce- the process like 10 times harder. It was more difficult to diagnose and to learn about food allergy, and my parents didn't know much about food allergy either, which made it, it was, it was difficult all around. Frustrating, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we wanted to... Over the pandemic, I wanted to connect food allergy parents, especially in more rural, smaller communities where they won't have like an in-person community, kind of empower them to advocate for themselves and to kind of ask for accommodations and things like that because I saw so many parents like pulling their kids out of school and kids getting isolated, like not being able to sit with other kids at the lunch table. 
and not eating out at restaurants, participating in social gatherings, things like that, because they have food allergy and there's a big stigma surrounding food allergy. And so I created K-12 Allergies as a resource for these parents to kind of learn more about food allergy and be able to accommodate their kids and all of these things that were happening like socially and emotionally as well. And that's where we did a lot of online advocacy over the pandemic and then we started bringing it back in person and conducting food allergy awareness talks, getting involved in local events. Like we have our Halloween event, we have um, farm friends. There's a, there's a tick bite related food allergy too that's really prevalent here. Alpha-gal? Alpha-gal. It, yes, make, it makes you sick if you eat beef or mm-hmm. pork, yeah. Red meat, yes. So I realized that there was a lot of injustices still going on within the food allergy community in Northwest Arkansas, and I wanted to do something to change that. And so this event we're hosting with the University of Arkansas Food Allergy Support Group, and the goal is to connect these medical providers like allergists and um, pediatricians and like local businesses that support food allergy like restaurants and just general organizations trying to show their support as well as connect the, the food allergy community to these to these organizations and raise awareness all around to food allergies. So we're, we're having like free food and stuff to incentivize the university kids to come. <laughs> and um, we just want to raise awareness overall and just pro- like show the community here that these resources are available and they exist for um, them to use. When you say there's stigma attached, and I think we've all heard stand-up comedians or late-night comedians talk about peanut allergies and sort of dismiss them and and make the people who have those allergies somehow at fault mm-hmm. or something. Is that kind of the stigma you're talking yes, about? Yes, sir. Yeah, so food allergy is a com- completely natural phenomenon. Um, sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's environmental, like with our alpha-gal. And there's it's not the person's fault who has food allergy. It wasn't my fault that I developed food allergy. Now, more education can reduce the amount of food allergy overall, and that's one of our goals, to make sure people know that these ticks can cause food allergy, to, to make sure they know about the value of early introduction in, of allergens and all foods into a child's diet so they're less likely to develop allergies. But a specific cure hasn't been found, a specific treatment hasn't been found. And so the community is just kind of here living with this and then there's the stigma attached that's keeping them isolated from the rest of the community. Can I ask you about your food allergies? Yes, sir. All right, eggs and garlic. Yes, sir. Okay. How do you remember when this was... When they were trying to figure, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I was seven. I had just turned seven. And on my birthday, we I had egg noodles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went out into a reaction of eczema. That was my primary reaction. And it was just kind of all over my body, eczema and hives. And so it would happen every few days or so. We couldn't figure out, like, what it was tied to immediately. So my parents took me to the allergist, to the pediatricians, even the dermatologist, because my reactions were skin reactions, and tried to figure out, hey, like, what's up with this? What's causing this? And they narrowed it down to food allergy because I didn't really have any environmental allergens that had a trend like Mm -hmm. that. And they used a food journal. So they wrote down everything that I was eating and then tracked my reaction. And they took out allergens one by one from my diet, and that's where they discovered egg. Then eliminating egg from my diet, I still was flaring up a little, and that was kind of the garlic. Yeah, so, I mean, eggs, I mean, I'm no allergist, I'm no medical professional, but it would seem eggs would be somewhat simple Mm because you have eggs in a pretty basic way. Mm -hmm. But 
garlic yeah. since that's an ingredient often i mean you, mm-hmm. you probably weren't going and picking up a garlic bulb just to yeah. eat it raw yeah so there's like our top nine allergens i think which have like eggs and peanuts and dairy shellfish all of those kind of things that are more common and then just the rest of them and like through this community that i've made i've met people who are allergic to pineapple mm. and all of these different things that you just don't think that your immune system will throw a reaction to but then it does and you're like okay <laughs> Do you have friends your age that also have allergies? Um, online, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so you don't eat eggs mm-hmm. for good reason, yeah. obviously. Does that make you pause when you go to a restaurant? I know if they're like, I have friends who have seafood or shellfish, and that you've got to really be careful so mm-hmm. it's not in the same pan or something. Mm-hmm. Is that something you have to be concerned about? That was definitely, I was concerned about that when I was younger. Um, I wouldn't go to like an ice cream shop or a bakery or anything knowing that everything around it would be Mm. containing eggs. Just growing up, I think my immune system has been a little bit more tolerant of it and I've been able to, like cross contact doesn't affect me. It's just like if it directly has egg in it, that's when I have to be wary. This doesn't bring up, does it bring up social problems? Like you can't go to somebody's house or something. You've just got to let them, hey, yeah. I don't want scrambled eggs for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, so especially with children, it, it causes, like, a social disconnect because, like, we were having birthday parties and things like that, but then I wasn't able to eat the cake or the pizza. And so that was it, was, it was very, very isolating for me. And then also some schools have, not my schools, but some schools have had peanut-free tables where they kind of lump all the food allergy children to those tables and that it causes more of a disconnect instead of educating peers about hey let's avoid um um having eggs around this person let's wipe down our table and be respectful of whatever they're doing to make sure that they don't have a reaction instead of doing that they just kind of put them in a table and isolate them when you're putting on an event for the public about food allergy education, you got to think about labeling and having everything properly identified, mm-hmm. right? Yes, I mean for it's sure. going to be allergy friendly. Yep. And so we have um, we have so many products lined up at this event that they'll cater to anybody with dietary restrictions, and all the people like passing out food at the event will have it labeled for sure. Um, yeah, we. Mostly it's like top nine allergen friendly for, as for the brands and stuff, that's how they label them. But then like things like, we have a gluten-free bakery coming, you know, and like things like that, that will cater to all audiences. Hey, Maligari is the creator of the nonprofit K-12 Allergies. She is a senior at Haas Hall Academy in Fayetteville. Saturday's event is from 11 until 2 at the Arkansas Union Mall on the University of Arkansas campus. There will be allergy-inclusive businesses and restaurants participating, a food allergy awareness walk, a raffle, and more. You can learn more about the event Saturday and about the organization at K-12 Allergies on Instagram and Facebook. The Hillberry Harvest Moon Music and Camping Festival is October 4th through the 8th at The Farm in Eureka Springs, and KUAF is giving you the chance to win tickets. Hillberry welcomes Here Come the Mummies, Arkansas, Elephant Revival, and more. Registration and information at KUAF.com.
The Arkansas Shakespeare Theater presents the complete works of Shakespeare Abridged, a comical ride through all of the Bard's plays in just 90 minutes. At the Skokus Performing Arts Center in Alma, with two performances, October 7th and 8th, tickets at skokuspac.org or call 479-632-2129. And Carmelita's Modern Mexican Cuisine is located at 7022 West Sunset Avenue, Suite 5, in Springdale, serving authentic northern Mexican and southern California-style lunch from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. and modern Mexican dinner from 5 to 9, Monday through Friday. More information at carmelitasnwa.com. We have a challenge for this on-air fundraiser for this hour of the on-air fundraiser at KUA. If it's from David and Deborah Malone, $50 challenge. That's for a new member, a renewed member. We, um, if, if, you can help us meet that challenge. They'll kick in $50 of their own money. It's a good way to get, you know, you inspired to continue to support your public radio station. And it's a really good uh, a really good motivator for someone who might be a new member. And maybe this sounds familiar. You've been listening for some time now, and you deeply value the reporting you hear every day. You've listened during pledge drives like this and thought, yeah, I really should give to KUAF. Well, now is the time to do it. You budget for the things that are necessary in your life. You put KUAF into that category, too. KUAF plays an essential role in our community and in our democracy. We pursue the truth independently and deeply researched with journalism. But the most important reason why you should donate to KUAF right now is because it plays an essential role in your life, too. You depend on KUAF for headlines, weather, enlightening, and uplifting moments. Make sure you get to take in every moment by making sure KUAF stays strong. Listener support makes up the largest share of KUAF's funding. Listener support is what keeps KUAF independent, free of commercials, political influence, and available to everyone. You can become a member right now. Make a contribution. Maybe it's $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, whatever feels like a good place for you to start. You can make that gift right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. This is Ozarks at Large. Northwest Arkansas hosts plenty of collegiate sporting events. Professional sports landed in Springdale more than a decade ago when the Naturals moved here. Now, work is underway to establish two professional soccer teams in Rogers. This week's episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas centers on the arrival of men's and women's USL franchises in Northwest Arkansas. Host Randy Wilburn talks with Chris Martinovic, principal owner and CEO of the clubs, and Wes Harris, the chief of staff. During their conversation, they cover the recruitment of the USL to Rogers, the structure of the league, and in this excerpt, the home of the new teams. Chris, could you share just a couple more details about the proposed multipurpose stadium and what features can fans expect that make it unique? Yeah, that's great. This is always uh, an exciting part. As you talk to anybody, they start talking about the stadium and everyone has ideas. It's great. And we listen to a lot of them. So I'll touch on that in a second. So when we first started, the process, the main criteria to establish an expansion franchise before you do anything is the location of where you're going to put the stadium. That's usually comes with the most hurdles and challenges because you have to find a location that's in a high traffic area that has some walkability that is located near restaurants and bars, has entertainment around it. Soccer is a two-hour event. Generally speaking, during a regular season, you don't have overtime or penalties. You have a regular game that's going to last two hours. It's not football. It's not baseball, right? 
when you go to a soccer game, the fan wants to come an hour or two before, maybe go have a drink, maybe go have dinner, maybe go to Top Golf right around the corner, maybe go do some shopping at the promenade, maybe hit Dave and Buster's right there, maybe go to Rendezvous Junction for a beer before, then go to the game, enjoy it, have a great event, have a great atmosphere, make it a social event. And then also after the game, be able to go and do some other activities. And so provide a five-hour window of entertainment. And so when I started looking at this process, I was looking for larger complexes that were 30 acres. Maybe we could build fields on top of it and not just a stadium. And those are one, you limit yourself to how many you could find because you're looking for big lots. When Warren jumped into the project with me, because he's done it several times, reset, hit the reset button, worked with Collier's and the commercial real estate development company and Steve Lane in particular. And we narrowed down our search to about 15 locations. And those were from all the way north through Centerton and Bentonville, through the middle of Northwest Arkansas, all the way down to Fayetteville. And we just, we reset and we looked in all those locations, did some market analysis, started to look at traffic patterns and where are people going? And it was a no brainer that Pinnacle Hills area was where people go. And not just people, but everybody goes there. All walks of life, all the different communities feel comfortable coming to Pinnacle Hills because it offers so much. It's become, Warren coined this term, the family room of Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> it so I'll is. Steal it, it really is. Uh, Mayor Gray Hines actually stole it from him as well. And so we like that term of the family room because people uh, feel comfortable there. They come there for entertainment. You have the amphitheater. I was at a concert last week and it's just such a great environment. People travel multiple hours for these concerts. And we think we have that opportunity because we do have an entertainment gap broader than just Northwest Arkansas. Sure. There is an hour and a half window. You could draw a circle around Rogers, the way down to Fort Smith, to Southern Missouri and Eastern Oklahoma. And so once we settled on that location, that really kind of was a game changer because yeah. now we can work on, all right, what do we want the stadium to look like? And what do we actually, what type of product? And the most important thing that we could do to have a successful franchise is to make the stadium a multi-use facility. And we don't have anything like that outside of University of Arkansas has some great facilities, but it's hard to partner with a university right, that's their right, property. Right, right, right. And so you're not the driver of it, you're a leasee or a partner of it, right? And so that doesn't always work for professional sports teams, right? And so having the location in there in the stadium. So a multi-use facility looks like we start off with 5,000 seats. It built in a modular standpoint, okay? Modular means that we have the opportunity to enhance and expand and grow as the community grows. On the current land, we've already specced a potential stadium out to be more than 15,000 seats if and when we need that. And we So take, it's almost modular. It is. And it's, it, it's, it's in your approach to modular. Yeah. It's completely It's the really, I would say, one, it's a fraction of the cost of a brick and mortar. Two, it gives you the flexibility. The worst thing you could do is build a brick and mortar stadium that's too big and then you don't have a great atmosphere inside. The other end of the spectrum is you build something that's too small, and now you have this massive demand, and you can't meet it, right? Right. And so the modular gives us the ability. It can be it's premium. You make it very professional. You have seatbacks. We can put VIP access and suites and lounges for our corporate community, but then also have the twelve dollars seats and sure. make it really family friendly and fun and affordable and easy to get to. And again, a two hour window. We're in the location where people can come and spend four or five hours. And so we want this multi-use facility to be not just for soccer. We're the tip of the spear to make this happen. Sure. But well, let's assume we have maybe 20 men's games a year. You have maybe 20 women's games a year. So you have about 40 nights a year okay. that you have activities between preseason games, maybe some cup games, 
We'll probably do some international games as well and start bringing teams in here in the summer and do all those type of things. So let's say you have those 40 nights. We'd love then to leverage it for high school championships. Because once you build a soccer field, which is the larger field versus all the other sports, you can easily play American football in there. You can play lacrosse. We could do rugby. There is discussions that we've had with all these different groups of sports supporters that would like to see things like that. Then you think about NCAA events, Division One, Two, Three, JUCO, NIA, where they host Final Fours and regional events, and we've never had that ability to bring them in. I know we've bid actually several times for our community, and we've lost out to Kansas City and other markets, but yeah. that's great exposure for Northwest Arkansas. puts ourselves on the map nationally, which is something that obviously we all want to do. And then you could use it for multiple tertiary events, corporate events. Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue is now in, in the Rogers, Pinnacle Hills area. We'd build a facility and the structure and the stadium to allow for that flexibility. And so 5,000 start, long-term vision. As the community grows, we grow with it. You can hear Randy Wilburn's entire conversation with Chris Martinovic and Wes Harris about professional soccer's beginning in Northwest Arkansas at imnorthwestarkansas.com or KUAF.com. You can also subscribe to the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast via any podcast distributor. It is Tuesday, which means it's day two of the Fall On Air fundraiser here on KUAF, where we take just a couple of minutes to remind you that public radio exists and continues to exist through the generosity and contributions of our community and listeners just like you. You can make a gift right now at support KUAF. We do have a challenge from David and Deborah Malone. They put up $50 of their own money. I bet we have more challenges later in the week from the Malones. That's just my guess. Uh, But the way challenges work at KUAF, if you can make a contribution during this hour uh, and it can be matched, it will be. That's right. Yes, $50, dollar for dollar, will be matched thanks to their generosity. And, you know, as, as we look at... Our show today, I think it's a really good example of the kind of programming you can depend on and rely on. If you are a curious listener, which much of our audience is, we've got stories about wine. We've got stories about food allergy awareness. We've got stories about soccer and building new entities here in the region. And one of the things that I really love about Ozarks at Large is that time and time again, we'll have a segment on here and I'll say, I didn't know that was going to be on the show. That's awesome. And I'm the one who puts together the show. And so the the curiosity and the constant learning of new things is something that is really valuable and not something you find in, in other news outlets. To have an hour of programming that includes a story about the wine industry, the emerging wine industry in Arkansas, the value of sleep, uh, a food allergy awareness, to have uh, also notes about COVID-19 boosters, and the Little Rock Nine. To do this all in one hour, six days a week, takes time, it takes energy, it takes resources. We couldn't do it if we didn't have support from listeners. It just wouldn't happen. No. Yeah. So if this is something that you depend on, that you share these stories with your friends and with your family, take that into account. When you think about your contribution that you're going to make to this public radio station, you can do that at supportkuaf.com. All right. We know a good night's sleep makes us more rested and more alert, but a quality sleep is far more important than just that. The American Heart Association says consistent good sleep allows for better healing and repair of cells and tissue, as well as an improved immune system and 
lower risk of chronic disease. And some people need more sleep than others. Children and teens need more than, say, somebody who hasn't been a teen for a few decades. <laughs> Yesterday, Dr. Matt Bradley with Northwest Arkansas Pediatrics came to the Converse Center for Public Radio to talk about young people and proper sleep. He says he asked his young patients how they think their sleep habits are developing. Because surprisingly, a lot of my adolescent patients think it's going better than it could be. Um, they're, they just know what they know. Um, asking about their bedtime routine, how long they're getting, uh, like how many hours, things like that. Especially for teenagers, what's the common answer you get for bedtime routine? Well, I would say over 50% of the time, parents will jut in and say they won't get off their phone. And they like to tell me that uh, from <laughs> from the parent side. And then kids a lot of times say, oh, well, I still feel rested. They they have their priorities before bedtime, sometimes a little skewed. <laughs> <laughs> what What is – so – I grew up hearing eight hours is what, and I think that's what adults are suggested. What if you're 12 to 19, 12 to 20, is there a suggested amount of time for sleep? Yeah. Um, kids over the age of 12, it's suggested to get a minimum of eight hours of sleep, um, but even up to 10 is recommended. Okay. So getting 10, I mean, that's a, huge, that's a pretty good chunk of time. It is. Yeah. That's over a third of their life. <laughs> right. So if... Um, all right, so just this morning, I was walking my dog, Daisy, and it was, I don't know, 6.45, and I saw some tweens or teens waiting for the bus. So if you are outside and ready for the bus at 6.45, you have to have been up at least by 6.30 and probably earlier than that, which means you got to be getting to bed fairly early. Yeah, as pediatricians, we hope kids are in bed by 9 or 10 o'clock, but we know that's not always the case. Sometimes... They're staying up till 11, watching TV shows, playing on their phone, uh, texting their friends. There's a lot of distractions before bed. Put the phone away, right? Yeah. Better sleep? Yeah. I like to tell my kids um, in two words, just a media curfew. Um, and parents are all aboard on this. They think their kids probably play on their phone more than they should. And, and a lot of times they're right. Um, but if you can put your phone away by 9 p.m. and start a good bedtime routine, I mean, the results of that are just astronomical. What are some of the results we would see from consistently good nights of sleep? Yeah, um, a lot of kids have, um, like, grogginess in the morning. It's slow to start their first class. Um, I see kids all the time with headaches, and I could ask them, oh, let's talk about sleep. And very rarely do kids with chronic headaches have good sleep. Um, academic performance, um, really just their mood throughout the day. It's, it's a long, long list of good sleep. It seems to me when I was a teenager, I did want to stay up late and sleep later. Are we kind of battling something there? Absolutely. And I, whenever I was a teenager, I was guilty of that, too. On weekends, sometimes I'd wake up at 10, 11 in the morning and go to bed around midnight. But really the routine and, and being disciplined enough that, hey, it's 930, we need to start winding down. And I know it's hard because TV shows, sports games, all these keep seemingly get it later and later at night. Right, right. I mean, especially if you're on a on a, a team and you're playing, you know, two hours away. Then you're on that bus, and it's the ride back, and then it's the the drive home or whatever. Absolutely. Um, I played basketball for Harbor High School um, back 12, 13 years ago, and we had Tuesday night games. Mm -hmm. um, we had Fort Smith Northside and Southside in our conference at that time. We might not even leave Fort Smith until nine thirty ten. Uh, put us in bed at after 11, and then next morning, got to go back to school. So it is difficult. All right, let's talk about what is 
an ideal bedtime routine? What what should we do? Uh, yeah. You know, either as parents, teenagers, or just people. Yeah. Three things I like to focus on, because you can talk about a lot, but I tell my kids, have a bedtime within 30, 45 minutes every night of itself, Monday through Friday. Around the same time. Right. Should be going to bed at 9 p.m. one night and then 1045 the next night. Shoot for 30, 45 minutes, like 930, give or take 30 minutes is a good rule. Um, As far as the social media, I tell kids, don't even have your phone within reach of your bed. Um, If you're staring at that blue light from your phone, you're not initiating that sleep cycle that's natural in the body. Um, And then another thing is really dimming lights. You can't go from a bright room to instant sleep. Um, So, Well, thank you for your time and uh, pleasant dreams. (laughs) Thank you. Dr. Matt Bradley is with Northwest Arkansas Pediatrics and talked with Kyle Kellams yesterday in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. NWA Pediatrics, by the way, is celebrating its 40th anniversary this week. More about that milestone on an upcoming Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we take a trip outside to check on a recently restored wetland in the area. A lot of times we think of them as a nuisance, but they're, they're actually working for us, and um, they're not a nuisance at all. We, we need wetlands. They filter pollutants. They create special habitats that other land features don't create. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich explains how a recent Supreme Court ruling is impacting local waterways and wetlands. That's at noon and 7 p.m. on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Rocky. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, and Randy Wilburn. Additional reporting today provided by our colleagues at Little Rock Public Radio. Our theme written and performed by Daryl Sean. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Kyle, we are we're, we're in day two of the mm-hmm. fall on air fundraiser. And, uh, you know, as we've said a few times throughout the show, it's an opportunity for us to hear from listeners. I think that's one of my favorite parts, too, is is when the phone rings or we get emails from listeners. It's an opportunity for them to tell us what they love about what we do, uh, about things we can improve on, which we're always grateful for those phone calls, too. But it's an opportunity for us to hear from you how much you rely on this programming that we supply at KUAF. Because as a listener, really, you're sharing with us an essential partnership in helping achieve our mission, Mm -hmm. and that's supporting uh, the critical resources KUAF and Ozarks at Large needs for, you know, in-depth news reporting, um, long-form conversations about weighty matters, and then make all of that freely available to everybody, Mm -hmm. right? You don't have to be a financial supporter. Not everyone is in the situation to do that, but your contributions make sure that everyone can hear what we provide. We're going to have another election year Mm -hmm. coming up, so that's a critical year of reporting. We're getting ready for it, so that 
makes it one more reason it's essential that you contribute to help KUAF fully empowered to share all the news and stories you'll count on. Without going into details, we were already, Matthew, talking about mm-hmm. election coverage for next year earlier uh, this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that we are thinking about all the time. And the intentionality that we put behind our reporting, the thoughtfulness that we try to bring forward with our reporting on Ozarks at Large and elsewhere, uh, that it happens because of listeners like you that were able to give you very strong fact-based reporting around the issues that matter to you. So if that is something that you depend and you rely on day in and day out, let us know by giving at supportkuaf.com. It's your contributions, it's your support that will continue to allow us to provide extensive coverage to add vital context to issues that we all care about here, like... Just for some examples, in recent weeks, sometimes days, on Ozarks at Large and KUF, the potential changes and limitations of the Freedom of Information Act that were presented to the Arkansas legislature, affordable housing in our region, um, how the continued population growth affects how we live, how we breathe, our water. Um, Where our, we put our trash. Exactly. <laughs> All of these matters and so many others have been covered in just recent days and weeks here on Ozarks at Large on 91.3 KUAF. It is not an exaggeration to say that this show has been able to grow uh, because of continued support from listeners like you uh, from all over the KUAF listening area. We've made it very simple for you to either become uh, a contributor or to renew your membership. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. It's simple. It's easy. We try to make it as easy for you as possible so that you can uh, make your contribution known. So thank you for doing that. We'll be with you tomorrow at noon and 7. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. Support comes from the Central Arkansas Library System Six Bridges Book Festival, September 25th through October 1st. Featuring cooking and writing workshops, a full day of family events, plus presentations from David Grand, Pulitzer Prize winner Andrew Sean Greer, birder Christian Cooper, and NPR's book critic Maureen Corrigan. Schedule at sixbridgesbookfestival.org. Supported in part by the Little Rock Convention and Visitors Bureau. The Hillberry Harvest Moon Music and Camping Festival is October 4th through the 8th at The Farm in Eureka Springs. And KUAF is giving you the chance to win tickets. Hillberry welcomes Here Come the Mummies, Arkansas, Elephant Revival, and more. Registration and information at KUAF.com.